Hi, welcome to Rich Devine's Social Work Practice Podcast. Hosted by Rich, our dad who is a social worker. This podcast is about practice-related issues, self-development and transformation. It will give you knowledge, ideas and practical tools for being a fantastic social worker. Supporting you with assessment skills, direct work, dealing with conflict and importantly, helping you make a positive difference in the lives of children and families. In this episode, I'm going to be looking at critical causes of danger and critical causes of change. It's going to be a shorter episode than usual, just because of personal life circumstances. I've been slightly overwhelmed and had limited ability and capacity to work at the level that I'm typically used to being able to work. And so I'm a little bit later than usual in uploading this episode and so I thought it'd be good to do a shorter one mainly because I don't have time to do a longer one. Before I get into this episode's topic I just wanted to mention the child protection masterclass series that I'll be doing. If you're a child protection social worker and you're looking for training on practice related topics for example how to work with children how to write assessments then I'd highly recommend checking out the Baswa child protection masterclass series if you just type in google Baswa child protection masterclass it will come up and you can check those out the other website I want to point you to is relational activism because we are running a series of webinars over the course of the year which are going to be free and we're hoping to have a brilliant lineup of guests for each of those webinars and so they're they're worth checking out and the website is relational activism so to look at this idea of critical causes of concern and critical cause of change Frequently, when I was a case-holding social worker, and maybe even now as a social worker who writes parenting assessments, I'm often overwhelmed by the variety and the severity of problems that a parent or a family is experiencing. Drug and alcohol use, domestic abuse, poor mental health, alongside dire housing conditions, financial difficulties, and often children with a host of emotional and behavioural problems. And sometimes our response to this can be equally overwhelming. And with the best intentions, we ask parents to access drug and alcohol services, domestic abuse services, mental health support, parenting classes, and sometimes a raft of other services, which are each designated to address a specific problem. In other words, we regularly ask families, often to their frustration and reluctance, to attend a range of different courses in different places with different agencies within the given agency's predetermined timeframes. And sometimes the failure to engage in these services regardless of how useful or relevant they may seem to a parent, can lead to a negative judgment being made about 
their willingness to engage, their capacity to change, etc. And that can lead to an escalation in social work involvement. And I think underlying this approach is a belief that each issue constitutes a separate entity that can be divorced from the individual's developmental experiences or their social context. However, in my experience, the issues are often interconnected and represent a manifestation of psychological distress or relational impoverishment and social deprivation. Another contributing factor seems to derive from the expectation that if the level of concern about the child's safety is such that care proceedings are instigated and permanent removal is considered, then the local authority has to demonstrate that they've done everything possible to support the parents. So, for example, when you go to court because you're so concerned about a child and you're seeking removal, you have to have demonstrated you've offered every support provision that's available within your area. And this is, I think, an irrefutably sound and indispensable principle. However, in my experience, what happens is the principle is applied to the quantity of support rather than the quality or appropriateness. And this idea that you have to offer support is underpinned by, I think it's called case law, REBS. I might just read that quickly, actually, because if you're not familiar with it, it's really worth knowing about. So it's para 28. I'm just going to pull that up. So it writes here, the court's assessment of the parent's ability to discharge their responsibilities towards the child must take into account the assistance and support which the authorities would offer. So before making an adoption order, the court must be satisfied that there is no practical way of the authorities or others providing the requisite assistance and support. And then in this piece of case law, they go on to quote Lady, sorry, Hale and it writes here, it will be the duty of everyone to ensure that in those cases where a supervision order is proportionate as a response to the risk presented, a supervision order can be made to work as indeed the framers of the Children Act 1989 always hoped it would be made to work. The local authorities must deliver the services that are needed and must secure that other agencies, including the health service, also play their part and the parents must cooperate fully. So it goes on to say that the local authority cannot press for a more drastic form of order, least of all press for adoption, because it is unable or unwilling to support a less interventionist form of order. And that judges must be alert to the point and must be rigorous in exploring and probing local authority thinking in cases where there is any reason to suspect that resource issues may be affecting the local authority's thinking. And that when REBS came out, that it was quite an influential piece of case law in our practice and, and how we had to demonstrate the kind of support that we offered parents. 
in any event, irrespective of the kind of underlying reasons as to why we offer lots of support services for lots of different difficulties that the family may be experiencing, there's this quote in Raising Parents, which is a book by Patricia Crittenden, and she writes, too many goals and too many professionals working towards the goals are likely to distract parents' attention, generate anxiety about performance and change, and obscure the critical aspect of treatment. And in her book, she outlines an idea that I have found incredibly useful, which is referred to as critical causes. And critical causes is divided into two elements. There's two elements. The first element is the critical cause of danger. And then the second element is the critical cause of change. So let's just explore those two elements. The critical cause of danger is that which in the past caused the development of a psychological self-protective strategy. For example, a parent may have been required to learn ways of coping to deal with violence, parental substance misuse, sexual abuse, neglect in their childhood. And the ways in which they learned to deal with those experiences led to the development of a strategy that's now being carried forward into their adulthood. But it can also be danger in the present. So it could be things such as a domestically abusive partner, current substance misuse, and or threat perceived or real of social care removing their children. So these current dangers can deny parents the psychological safety necessary to explore past adaptations. That is the coping strategies they developed to past danger. So there's these two elements where there's the current danger, substance misuse, being in a domestically abusive relationship. But then there's also these past dangers they've often experienced and the ways that they've learned to cope with those. And so that's the critical cause of danger. And the critical cause of change refers to that which, if changed, would instigate a cascade of changes that would ultimately resolve other concerning aspects of the family's functioning. And as an attachment theorist, Patricia Crittenden argues that attachment is often a critical cause of change because attachment constitutes the development of a self-protective coping strategy and crucially the underlying psychological processing that underpins such a strategy. And I think conceptualised this way, our role should be therefore organised around understanding and reducing danger, current and past, and identifying the critical cause of change. So what does that mean for practice? Because I'm aware that it's probably sounded quite academic and technical so far. I think firstly, it would require narrowing the definition of the problem. As already indicated, attempting to provide a service for each problem and every consequence of each problem is unlikely to succeed and will probably just overwhelm the family and us as social workers. So I'll give two examples. 
When a parent's experiences growing up have been characterised by exposure to trauma or neglect and abuse, then they may struggle with their thoughts and feelings and the way that they manage their relationships. And that can lead to one or a combination of difficulties, such as conflictual relationships, poor mental health, or a reliance on drugs and alcohol. Consequently, these issues can undermine their parenting ability. And so a logical, albeit false, inference from this is that the parent should attend a parenting course. However, difficulties in parenting difficulties in parenting are usually a symptom of an underlying issue rather than the cause of difficulties for children per se. So the difficulties that the parents we work with have in managing their children is often a symptom of an underlying issue rather than the causes of difficulties. And so if we address the underlying issue, most of the parenting concerns would automatically diminish, at least to a degree that doesn't warrant social care involvement. In in the 12, 13 years that I've been a social worker, I've yet to encounter a family who were able to address their issues by attending a parenting course. But attendance at a parenting course featured on most support plans. That's not to say that there isn't a value in parenting courses and that they don't help a lot of people. But I just haven't come across parents or children who've been on a child protection plan where the fundamental concerns and risks have been addressed by the parent attending a parenting programme. Another example, which might be a little bit more concrete, the use of drugs and alcohol by parents can often lead to chaotic home routines, inconsistent parenting, financial problems, including accumulating lots of debt, poor mental health and conflict in the relationship. Now, if we were to ask the parent to address their drug and alcohol use, there are a few avenues in which to do this. One-on-one and group work through community drug and alcohol services, Alcoholics Anonymous, or rehab. And so I think that should be our primary focus helping them access the the community drug and alcohol service or helping them get access to Alcoholics Anonymous by asking the family support worker to take them or liaising and linking in with the drug and alcohol service to think about whether they would be eligible for accessing a drug and alcohol rehab centre. Yet more often than not, we ask parents to engage in support to address their drug and alcohol use and and attend a parenting course for inconsistent parenting, engage in one-to-one family support to improve routines, attend the GP and access mental health support, and engage in domestic abuse services. And I think if parents were able to gain a better understanding of the function of their substance misuse, they would be supported to develop alternative coping strategies And that would make it more likely that they would reduce their substance misuse or even better abstain completely. And in that context where we simply focused on the drug and alcohol use and they were able to bring about a resolution in that area of their life, the rest of the services would probably be redundant. 
And even if ongoing support was needed after they'd reduced their substance misuse or abstained, then they could more likely focus on accessing the help that would enable them to repair the past harm caused in the relationship with their children and strengthen their parenting capacity. And then I think once we've narrowed and better understood the problem, then we can focus on addressing the identified danger. For example, risk-taking behaviour, drug and alcohol use, domestic abuse, isolation or poverty. And I think once the immediate and current danger danger has been removed or substantially reduced including the danger that children's services represents to many families then we can embark upon a compassionate inquiry into the underlying issues that contributed to and maintained the behavior and or relationships that undermined a parent's ability to protect their children from harmful experiences and I think we should probably aspire to meet parents from where they are and not where we think they should be or expect them to be. And I think from that position, we can function as what Crittenden refers to as transitional attachment figures and collaboratively, slowly and incrementally facilitate parents' abilities to make long-term changes whilst recognising that participating in a reciprocal process of change often reveals revealing some aspects of the self which can be really threatening or or horrible, or shameful. And so, critical cause of danger requires us to narrow down the problem and focus on what's the key problem here? What's the key problem that if we were to address, it would instigate a cascade of changes that would ultimately resolve a lot of the other aspects of the family's functioning? And I mentioned the example of the drug and alcohol use. If you resolve the drug and alcohol use, which you'd have to look at the underlying reasons for the drug and alcohol use, but it would also resolve a lot of the other problems, potentially around the parenting and the routine and the finances and the poor mental health. And so just to kind of wrap this up, I think... We're often guided in our work to improve the experience of children in their parents' care and prevent, where possible, significant harm. That's fundamentally our role. And we can observe children with quite significant emotional and behavioural problems or they might have an anxious attachment. And we try to resolve this sometimes by sending the parent on an array of courses In many cases, we will also try and provide an intervention for the child. One of the things that Crittenden points out, however, is that anxious attachment is not the problem. Danger is the problem. Change the danger, not the child. So that's a quote by Crittenden. Anxious attachment is not the problem. Danger is the problem. Change the danger, not the child. And... Because there is a risk that if you, for for children, they develop a way of coping with their caregiving context. And so for some children, for example, it's adaptive. It's helpful for them if they're hypervigilant, if they're anxious. Because if they live in an an unknown, an unpredictable environment because there's violence or there's drug and alcohol use, 
then they can be quick to see what's happening and respond either by hiding or running away and just keeping themselves alert. In school, that kind of strategy doesn't play itself out so well because they're kind of they're hypervigilant and they're looking for cues of threat and danger. And that can sometimes make it difficult for them to concentrate in school or it might make them predisposed to responding aggressively to the cues and communication of other people. Because if you're looking for danger everywhere, it it will help you see danger when it is there, but it also might lead you to seeing it when it isn't there. And so that that strategy helps that child cope with the environment. So if you try and make the child less anxious and less hypervigilant, then you're taking away the strategy that protects them in their home and in their particular caregiving context. So what Crit- Crittenden's advocating for here is change the environment, make the environment less predictable, unsafe, less dangerous, less unpredictable, and then the child won't feel so compelled to be so anxious or insecure. So how do we do this? I suppose that's the question. Primarily, we help parents and we avoid multiple solutions for multiple problems and instead identify and address the essential issues, the critical cause of danger. And then ideally, we would invoke the use of a transitional attachment figure that functions like a parent in helping each person to address the problem from which they can learn without being overwhelmed by the complexity of the entire problem. So that's a a brief overview of this idea that's had quite a profound impact on my practice and my development. And that is from Raising Parents, a book by Patricia Crittenden, which is probably one of the most influential books that I've read. If you're interested in learning about the dynamic maturational model, I would highly recommend checking out Rebecca Carr Hopkins. She provides the most brilliant and engaging and informative training on this topic and it will massively change your perspective and ability to help children and families so i'm gonna leave it there for now if you have found today's podcast or episode useful please do leave a review and please don't hesitate to get in touch if you have any questions or queries or topics that you would like me to explore bye for now